Avi Gilbert, welcome back to Investing Experts. Always great to talk to you on Seeking Alpha. Always great to get your insights. So thanks for joining us again. Thank you so much for having me. A pleasure. Uh, so we're here December 5th, tail end of the year. What have you in mind when you're looking at the markets? What are you, how are you assessing what you're looking at? Well, you know, I, I've i been looking forward to, well, not really looking forward to it, but I've been looking at uh, the start of a major bear market around this time frame, And we've been looking at that for, we've been expecting this and looking towards this specific time frame for about a decade now when I started uh, telling my clients that, you know, to be preparing for this. And uh, I have just one remaining question, and that is, does the market get one more higher high over 4,800 before that major bear market begins, or has it already begun? And oddly enough, I think the next few weeks probably give us our answer. And where is the answer coming from? Well, most specifically, you know, from the market structure. Um, when the market was coming down into the 4,100 region, uh, I, I said, well, from there, I was expecting a rally back to about 4,350 to as high as about 4,475. And the market now has you know, a little bit exceeded the expectations I had for that rally. The manner in which we decline from this rally will probably give me the answer. Uh, first, first and foremost, 4607, which was the high we struck in the summer, that is a very key point right now. Um, if the market can now hold over the 4500 region and then rally over 4607.07, then it would invalidate any immediate bearish potential for me, or at least the setup I'm seeing right now. If we can do that, then I'm expecting a corrective pullback, which will be a buying opportunity. And then I'm looking for one final rally into, into 2024 that should take us north of 4,800. However, if we cannot exceed 4,607.07 first, and instead we break down below 4,500 first, then the nature of that pullback will tell me whether or not we're going higher first or not. When I say the nature of the pullback, I'm saying if the market provides us with a corrective pullback back to about 4,300 to about 4,400, that would be a buying opportunity for a rally north of 4,800. If the market drops in, as we say, impulsive structure, meaning a five-wave structure based upon the Elliott wave structure, then it tells me we're probably setting up for what some may consider, you know, a near-term market crash into 2024, which will be pointing us south of the levels we struck in October of 2021. So that's it's a very important inflection point. And in terms of you know retail investors playing that in terms of the path that you're describing that leads up to that inflection point, and then perhaps what happens at that inflection point there and thereafter, would you advise um, or how would you advise retail investors to be positioning for that or thinking about their portfolio in, in that regard? Much depends on how aggressive uh, and what how aggressive that particular investor is and 
what time frame they're really looking out over and you know their 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 risk appetite you know some some long-term players would just want to be raising cash and continue raising cash if we go higher um some may not you know may just want to be getting more aggressive and buying on the next pullback so you know personally i've trimmed my own uh you know i'm i'm 53 years old i'm looking towards semi retirement in a few years so you know i'm looking to raise cash but i'm not completely getting out of the market i'm going to wait to see how this next decline develops if it declines if the decline develops as a five wave structure well i intend to raise a lot of cash um on the next bounce after that five wave decline takes shape before a much bigger decline takes shape in earnest but for me, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've raised some cash up here. I may be putting it back to work, depending on the structure of the next decline. But a lot, a lot really depends on, you know, how aggressive, you know, that particular investor is and what, you know, their their risk profile is. Speaking of that, I, I think that this kind of goes hand in hand with the risk profile in terms of, you know, a lot of people are focused on the bond market right now and T bills and looking to that area of the market what are your thoughts there and also vis-a-vis maybe as as allocating that as part of the portfolio well we track uh the tlt for example as a good etf for everybody uh to track on their own just as a general idea of what the treasury market is doing and um back in october of 2020 of, of this year so a couple couple months ago I was giving our members uh, a region of uh, 81.75 to 82.50 as a bottoming zone for the TLT, which could begin a very large rally into 2024. Um, I think we bottomed at about 81. I think the number here is about 81.92 or so. I could be wrong, but it bottomed exactly right in the zone we were looking for that bottom. Assuming again, assuming the next pullback is corrective, um, I'm I'm looking for uh, the TLT to next rally um, up into the 105 to 110 region, potentially followed by another corrective pullback. And if we can get through that 109 region, then we're easily going to get to 120. And ideally, that really should be my minimum target. For uh, for 2024, the 120 region in, in in the TLT, depending on how the rest of the year takes shape, it could even get up as high as the 131 to 142 region. But the bigger issue with the TLT is the next rally that takes shape, a larger degree rally that takes shape in the TLT, uh, is it, not one that you want to take very lightly. You want to use it as an opportunity to uh, to get out of the bond market to a great extent because Whatever that rally and however that rally takes shape, it likely, the way it's setting up on the bigger degree charts, it's likely going to set up a bond market crash, which potentially could be a lot lot worse than the one we've seen since 2020. I wouldn't consider what we've seen since 2020 necessarily a bond market crash. I would say, yes, it was a very, very large decline. But what could be shaping up could be a bond market crash as we look towards the second half of this decade. Market structure is what gives me uh, you know, advance warning where a market turn could take shape. And then the nature of the turn, how the turn take develops, 
tells me how you know how, does it have legs or not uh, in the in the opposite direction. So depending on what happens at 120, if the market begins declining in a as I put it an impulsive five wave structure, then that's the initial signal that a bond market crash is starting to develop. If the pullback from 120 is clearly corrective, then it likely means we're going up to 130 to about 142, 131 to 142. And from there, the the bond market crash will probably begin. I'm curious, in terms of your subscribers um, with your investing group at the, at the uh, Market Pinball Wizard, is it investors from novice to the more experienced? Is it investors with different timelines? Is it all different types of investors that you're advising there? We have people that, you know, have come in because all they've known is fundamental analysis and they're realizing it's just not enough for them. And, it, you know, they've been left behind in certain ways. And, you know, we're teaching them not only the basics of Elliott Wave analysis, but also uh, the basics of, uh, of, of technical analysis. So we have people that are just beginners even people that are just beginning in, in, in their life of investing. We have a bunch of 20-year-olds on our, on our, uh, in our services. But, uh, but that ranges all the way up to you know, very long-term investors, people who have been around the market for many decades. I have eight, people that are in their 80s in my services. Um, and what I'm most proud of is between my various platforms, we have almost 1,000 money manager clients. So the level of knowledge and, and, and experience that we have in our services really is, is such a wide range from all the way novice beginners in their 20s through people in their 80s and people that are, that are, uh, that are money managers. I would imagine that when you're kind of, uh, you know, giving out analysis that's also information and knowledge and I imagine that doing it in all those different kinds of ways sharpens, would you say, like keeps on sharpening? I know that's not the best way to put it, but keeps on sharpening your own um, ability and insight into your analysis? Well, I will tell you, the way I go about my analysis is I will I will run many different scenarios to identify what seems to me to be the most probable uh, outcome that I'm seeing in the market at any given moment in any given chart that I'm doing. And then after I do that, I then pull it apart and say, where could I be wrong? And then I run some other analysis to identify what would be my alternative scenario if I'm wrong. So I, I am constantly scrubbing my analysis, and this is on every single day. The uh, market is always giving us more information as more, more of the structure develops. So I am constantly running different scenarios to identify not only where is the highest probability point of being right, where can I also be wrong? So I'll know fast. This way we can adjust quickly so that losses can be, can be either minimized or completely uh completely avoided. Yeah. I saw Michael Guyad wrote today something to the effect of overconfidence is the precursor to every market crash, something to that effect. Well, I wouldn't say it's a precursor to every market crash. Market crashes, it has, it has market crashes are structures that are developing. I don't think I've ever been surprised by it, by a big down move in a market. In fact, back in late 2019, we were calling for a 30%, 35% market decline. Uh, starting in the first quarter of 
2020. I didn't realize it would all happen in a month, but you know, setups are always there to tell us when a market crash, you know, can potentially happen. I don't think that 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 really is the case. But the way I look at it is, I put my clients' money well before my own ego. I want to know where I'm going to be wrong, so I can tell people this is where you now have to protect. Because look, these people work hard for their money. And I, I I truly respect that. I work hard for my money. They work hard for their money. And that's much more important to me than, than maintaining a position, even in the face of the market moving against me. I want to know where I'm going to be wrong. I want to know where I'm going to be wrong right away so I can protect myself and my clients. So speaking of protecting yourself and your clients and also looking out for for you know, rethinking your own thesis. Something that you were warning investors about last time you were on was this impending bank crisis. And uh, I've seen some of your writing since then. Would you care to share with uh, listeners where where you stand in, in that kind of outlook? You know, the banking crisis is going to become really much more obvious once the stock market starts heading south. So as long as the stock market is going to remain elevated, and especially if we get the 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 next rally to 4,800 plus before we hit a major market top, we're not likely going to see, you know, a lot of banks going under. There's a lot of stress under the hood when you look at a lot of the balance sheets, but uh, where you're really going to start seeing the stress is when you start seeing financial stress occurring throughout the market. And that's when the market is going to be in its decline. And it's going to be in various stages. It's not all going to happen at once where you're going to have a thousand banks going out of business. It's going to happen in various stages. It's not going to occur in the same way that we saw in the Great Depression. Um, it, it's going to be a process. And, uh, and you know, when we look back at times like the Great Depression or even the, the, um, uh, the, the SNL crisis, you know, you had anywhere between 30 to 50% of banks that went under. I mean, that's a lot of banks. That is a lot of, of, of risk that's sitting on banks. So if we get that same type of scenario, you know, people really have to do some, some due diligence about the banks that are currently holding their money. And I'm not even talking about where you have your investment money, you know, in bank stocks. I'm talking about literally what, what banks house your cash. And so, yeah, I, I'm still very confident that that's going to happen. Um, uh, you know, is it going to happen tomorrow? No, it's going to happen alongside with the weakness in the stock market. So once we start seeing the stock market moving down, that's when you have to start worrying and saying, okay, we're about to start seeing some, some, some issues in the banks come to light. That's when the lid is going to be coming up. And are you still of the opinion that Citibank and Capital One are likely the first to exhibit that that kind of decimation? There are a number of banks in the same posture. And so, but yeah, Citibank and Capital One do not look pleasant from where we sit. So on the other side of things, something that you were bullish on uh, previously and something that we have a number of analysts on speaking bullishly about is the energy sector. Um, mostly oil and gas. How are you looking at that part of the market? Oh, I'll pull up my chart. Just to use an example, I've got a daily USO chart up. 
And you know, we were looking for uh, bottoming in that chart from that very long pullback in the market that we had into 2023. We were looking uh, for a bottoming in the market somewhere in the mid uh, mid to low 50s um, on the uh, on the USO, and that's basically where where it bottomed. Once we started rallying up into uh, the September timeframe. We were completing a five-wave structure off the uh, off the lows, and well, once that happened, I told our clients, "Okay, now it's time to expect a pullback." And the pullback is basically just about complete. We can get a little bit lower, but um, but there's a lot of things that are suggesting that this looks like we're bottoming out. For example, in the USO, and uh, what I'm looking for next is a five-wave rally back up towards that 80, 82 region to signal that the next major move is about to begin. After we get that, we'll see another smaller corrected pullback. And then once we break out over that 83 and change region, you know, I'm looking north of 110 uh, as we look towards you know, late 2024 into 2025. Mm -hmm. Any other sectors that you're focused on or bullish on or particularly bearish on? I, I really like the metals. Uh, metals are really starting to set up in a way, uh, and I've been writing about this for a few months now, the metals are setting up in a way that could, that could present us with a, a major move into uh, 2024, maybe even into 2025 as it continues. And is that both gold and silver? Gold and silver with silver potentially outperforming gold and GDX, uh, which is a mining ETF, being in between the two. We had Don Duret on. He runs a gold and silver mining and also just gold and silver investing group. And uh, he was talking about how investors should be stacking silver, how he's just extremely bullish uh, on that metal in particular over long period of time. Is it, can you talk a little bit, like articulate the reasons why it's looking so bullish there? For me, it's all about structure. Um, and, you know, the structure to me is what tells me uh, where we are in market sentiment. And market sentiment, especially in the metals, is what drives it. You know, so many people were, you know, back in, I, I remember my first article on on Seeking Alpha was actually my first technical article about a, a market, uh, about a uh, specific price market was actually in the gold market back in 2011, and um, everybody was so bullish it was it was it was going parabolic. Some days you were seeing fifty dollar plus rallies uh, per day, and I remember everybody was arguing about one thing. How far past 2000 are we going to go in 2011? And from where I was sitting, it looked like we were hitting a top. And I published my first article from a sentiment standpoint, you know, which is what we track from an Elliott Wave analysis perspective. And sentiment-wise, it was telling me that 1915 is probably where we're going to see a top. As we know now, 1921 was the top. Now, from a sentiment standpoint, again, even before we top, people were asking, where do I see the bottom? You know, where do I see the market coming down to? And I said, I think we'll probably drop back down to around a thousand. We bottomed at about a thousand forty-five or a thousand fifty from what I remember in gold. So, you know, 
we look at everything from a market sentiment standpoint, and Elliott Wave analysis tells us from a uh, from a mathematical perspective where we see how things are going to move. So, you know, when I look at the gold market, you know, I'll use the GLD because, you know, that's probably what more people track than anything else. You know, I, you know, as long as we're staying over the 175 to 180 region on GLD, to me, this is a this is a uh, an ETF that's probably going north of 250 over the next year or two. Any thoughts or comments on the uh, the crypto rally that we've seen this week? Yeah, uh, we have we have uh, I, I have some analysts. I have two analysts that uh, manage our crypto service, uh, Ryan and Jason, and we have the service on Seeking Alpha as well. That's crypto wave, crypto waves, crypto wave. That's it. And what their analysis is telling us is we're now at, in the forty-five to fifty region of resistance. And that re that resistance is going to be very key over the coming weeks. If we are unable to uh, to break out, of, well, first of all, they're looking for a pullback, I believe. And as long as the uh, 27 to 30 region holds as support, the expectation is we should break out over that 50 region of resistance. If we cannot get through that 50 region of resistance and instead break down below that 27 region, that's going to bring in a new leg in the bear market that uh, probably will take some time until it completes. It'll take us back down into the teens, maybe even a little lower than that. Um, and uh, and that would set up the next bull market move. But should we be able to get through that 50 region? We're looking at about 100 to about 125 on crypto, on uh, Bitcoin. Anything else you'd you'd care to comment on about uh, the market specifically, or things that you feel like investors should be paying attention to, or not be paying as much attention to? Well, I'm seeing a really nice setup in uh, in the emerging market ETF as well. If people are interested, uh, the support is around uh, the 37 to 37.75 region, and uh, during once this pullback runs its course um i'm looking for a move up to at least the 43 region uh ideal you know maybe even a more direct move to the 45 to 45 50 region so uh i, I think there's a nice setup that's developing in uh in the eem which is the etf tracking uh, emerging markets I'm curious if I can pick your brain a little bit and get into the details of your day, because I'm curious how much time you spend kind of allotted towards looking at the events of of the news in the investment world, but also, you know, kind of big picture. How much time of your day do you spend doing that, considering that it's not a big part of your analysis? The only time I will look at there, there are there are two reasons I will look at that one. I like to know when a catalyst can occur. So I'd like to know, you know, if there's a if there's some type of report coming out or something, I'll look at that as a catalyst. I don't care what the report says in itself. The market usually tells me the direction it's going to take once the report comes out, if it's going to act as a catalyst. As an example, um, October 13th of 2022. Everybody was expecting the CPI report to take us down if it was negative. 
I was looking at the CPI report as just a catalyst at the time, and I was looking up. I thought it was going to start a rally that was going to take us north of 4,300, and that's when we were at 3,500. So I was looking at it as a catalyst. So I like to know when the new, you know, various things come up so I know when there's a potential catalyst on the table. I won't care what the substance of that report is. The, the, uh, the other time I will look at news or anything like that is when I write a public article, because I usually like to outline to people just how silly it is to try and follow these, because so often we see a news event come, come out and the market reacts in the exact opposite way everybody expects. And we've been seeing that a lot during this rally as well. And it just confuses the crap out of people. So, uh, you know, I, I, I try to highlight why it is so really not important to be watching the news as, as often as people do or to be focused on all these various economic factors and so on and so forth. At the end of the day, like I said, they can act as a catalyst, but the substance of it will often get you looking in the wrong direction. I challenge each and every person that comes into my service to stop listening to the news, stop looking at the news, give yourself one month and see how you trade without looking at the news. I have never had a single person come back to me and said it wasn't profitable for them to do so, and it made their life much easier, and they could sleep better at night. Interesting. What are their? What are their? What are some of the takeaways? Like specifically, do you remember specific kind of uh, responses from from that experiment? And also, do do a lot of people extend that into longer than just one month? Oh, absolutely. Once once the once my subscribers start recognizing. You know how little the news really means at the end of the day. They just completely give up on it, and they now have so much more time on their hands. And I, I can't tell you how often I get somebody writing a post, sending me an email, whatever it is, telling, to, thanking us for freeing them for, from freeing them from 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 all the work they normally had to do. Um, because at the end of the day, it really didn't matter as much as most people believe. Then I'll tell you, there are so many studies that have come out over the last 20, 30 years that support this. But people have a feeling that if they understand what's going on in the world, then they have control. They think that they have control once they know all these things that are going on. At the end of the day, it really is, it really is a fallacy. Um, you know, we don't have control. That's not how the world works. You know, just because you know what the news is does not mean you have control. And even and there, there are studies that show you could have the news before it even comes out and you still could get the direction of the market wrong. So, you know, at the end of the day, people feel like they've been freed with, from this big weight and not having to do all that work and following the news and following the Fed and following this or that, things they, they thought were so important at the end of the day, when you really delve into it, are not as important as so many believe. Yeah, I think that all makes a lot of sense. All right, Avi, an, a, another great conversation where I think we dove into a lot of insightful topics for investing and just for life. Anything that you feel we would be remiss to not include at this point? I would be very, very cautious over the next few weeks um, uh, and, and 
be very careful as to how the market's going to react over the coming week weeks, especially if we are unable to take out 4607.07 first. Um, so I would be very, very cautious with how the market progresses as we look towards the end of this year, because the next several weeks are probably going to tell us how the next three to six months will probably turn out as we look into 2024. All right. We'll be watching along with you. Avi, appreciate it as always. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. If you're a serious investor, here are three reasons you should be using Seeking Alpha. We're the only platform with coverage of all significant stocks and ETFs, the only platform providing news analysis, ratings, and data on stocks and ETFs, and we have the highest quality community of real investors discussing stocks and ETFs. Find out more at SeekingAlpha.com slash subscriptions. Any articles discussed today, you can find links to them on our show notes. And all episodes have transcripts available on Seeking Alpha. Just a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast should not be considered investment advice. This is for entertainment purposes only, and you should seek advice from a licensed professional before investing. If you enjoyed the episode, leave a rating or review on your favorite podcasting app. And we'll see you soon with a new episode.